G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Hello, my name is Bill. Welcome and thanks for joining me for another message from Pastor Jeff Vines from his series called Renovations of the Heart. Pastor Jeff will look at John chapter 3 and the account of Nicodemus meeting with Jesus. And he'll break down He'll break down what it means to truly have your life changed by Christ or to be born again. Let's see what we can take from this passage to apply to our lives today. Here's Pastor Jeff. Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 3, John 3, and uh, while you're doing that, I, I, look, I, sometimes, you just never know how this is going to be taken, but uh, a guy walks into a hardware store, and he, he, he's looking for a file, and uh, the clerk comes over and says to him, uh, uh, what do you want to file for? And he, he says, I'm going to file my parrot's beak down, and the clerk says, man, you can't do that. You'll kill that parrot. You try to file his beak down, that's, that's, not, that's inhumane. It's just not right. He buys the file anyway. Two weeks later, he comes back. Now he's looking for a little wooden box. And the clerk is suspicious. He killed that parrot. He's going to bury him in that little box. He walked over. You file that parrot's beak down. I told you that if you use the file on that parrot, you're going to kill that parrot. And the guy says, it wasn't the file that killed him. It was the vice. <laughs> You got it? About 50-50. And that's, that's, I I use that because I know that's one of those jokes that 50% get and 50% don't or they don't appreciate it. Uh, No animals were harmed actually in that joke. You know that. But the reality is that there is a lot of language that we use in our churches that kind of have the same impact. Some people get it, some people don't. And you know, the, the, the most difficult thing about this message is a message like this can spark a revival in the church, just like that. But it can also leave people confused because it's, and it's hard for a pastor to preach a message like this because only those people who see it will see it. Now, let me explain. Uh, when you think of the word born again, who do you think of? What picture comes to your mind? For some of you, as soon as I say born again, you think of hippies. You know, people walking around these long haired, long cloaks, you know, dude, I found Jesus. And you say, dude, I didn't know he was lost. And dude, you know, 
It's kind of like that thing, kind of an emotional, cathartic experience. I've had some divine intervention. If you don't think of hippies, you think of people in prison. They go into prison, you know, they're degenerates, they're the low lives of our society, and they need some kind of spiritual experience. So they go in prisoners having committed these horrible crimes, and somehow they find Jesus, and they talk about being born again. And of course, in your mind, you think, well, of course you were. You, you had no other hope, no other trust, so you had a divine uh, experience, and now you're born again. You think, so you think of hippies, or you think of somebody who's been in prison, somebody who really needs a divine intervention, or sometimes, and I find this more often than not, today, when you, think, when you, you use the term born again, you, you think of someone who's a fundamentalist, someone who just needs law, needs everything to be black and white. And, and, and so they, if you hear somebody say, well, you know, I don't smoke and I don't drink and I don't sleep around, you might hear non-believers say, yeah, yeah, they're a born-again Christian. You with me? When Jesus has his encounter with Nicodemus, he shoots these theories completely out and totally contradicts what most of us understand by the term born-again. So it's in John chapter 3, and in verse 1, we're told that the guy named Nicodemus, who's a part of the Jewish ruling council, comes to visit Jesus, comes to him at night, and he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher sent from God because nobody can do the things you're doing unless they were from God. Listen to Jesus' reply in verse 3. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born again when he's old, Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born, Jesus answered. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here is that Nicodemus is not emotionally broken person looking for a spiritual cathartic experience. He's not looking for some new spiritual high. He's a Pharisee, the Bible tells us, and he's part of the Jewish ruling council, which means a couple of things. One, he's part of the Sanhedrin which also means, too, he's old. It takes a long time, a long time of life to, to become part of the Sanhedrin. You know, if you're part of the Sanhedrin, you're not young. You're learned or well-educated. He's probably been studying the Old Testament scriptures since the time he was in his early teens. He's uh, powerful. You don't get to be part of the Sanhedrin without being powerful and wealthy and having great influence. And for the sake of our argument, he's part of the establishment. Now, when Jesus sees Nicodemus, in verse 10 that we haven't read yet, and here's Nicodemus, he says to Nicodemus, you're a teacher and you don't understand these things I'm saying? You got a PhD from an Ivy League school, you're, you're a scripture scholar, you teach in the best seminary, you're, you're part of the cultural elite, and, and, and you don't understand these basic fundamentals of the Old Testament scriptures fulfilled in the new? And the point Jesus is making, Nicodemus... You believe that you have everything you need. You believe that you're not wanting. You're complete. You don't need anything else. You're extremely religious. And Nicodemus isn't coming to Jesus to look for answers. In Nicodemus' mind, he already has all the answers, and he's teaching everybody else what the answers are. He's not looking for anything. So why does he go to Jesus then? Well, in verse 2, we're told that he comes at night. In fact, it was probably a dark, stormy night. Because if you look in uh, verse 8, I believe Jesus is using a, a natural example to communicate something to Nicodemus. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. The Greek word is voice. You hear its voice, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it's going. So Nicodemus probably comes to Jesus on a dark and stormy night. And he's representing the establishment. But the establishment is against Jesus. So what is Nicodemus doing here then? And the answer is, he's backroom politicking. He's come to Jesus. He says, young man, 
There are some in the establishment that are against you, but there are many of us in the establishment that want to play ball with you. Because we can see that you're a tremendous teacher and that your miracles are the real deal. Uh, we believe in the, some of us in the Sanhedrin that you are a force to be reckoned with, so we'd like to get you involved in our party. And maybe you can help us, and we can help you. So the point is, he's not a needy person who's spiritually searching anything. He thinks He's not a lowlife. He thinks he's at the very top of the spiritual ladder. And neither is he a person that needs some kind of moral structure. My goodness, he's a Pharisee. He's a professional do-gooder. He spends his entire life trying to keep the law and keep these rules. And those rules and regulation give him a sense of moral security and superiority. So you couldn't possibly structure Nicodemus' life any more than it already is. He says all the right things and he does all the right deeds. Now, this is why it's interesting the manner in which Jesus responds to this guy. Because what does he say to him? He just looks right at Nicodemus. After Nicodemus has said, you're a great teacher sent from God, you do these great things. And Jesus just cuts him off and says, you need to be born again. Do you understand what, what that's like? Do you understand the weight of that statement to Nicodemus? When I was playing basketball at university, we had this All-American on our team, Donnie Wallace. Donnie Wallace was the nicest guy. You'd ever, he'd never say a bad word to anybody. In fact, he's a pastor today in North Carolina. And we were, we were playing Baptist University down in Atlanta, Georgia. And all the calls were going against us. And the officials that were calling the game, we just felt like they were calling it more like a junior high game. Any touch, any, any aggressive play, any box out aggressively, they'd call foul. And I saw this guy, Donnie Wallace, get frustrated, which he never got frustrated. And about somewhere between uh, the third and fourth quarter, he looked at the official after the official had called a foul on him. And he looked at him and he said these words. Now, here's a guy, remember, that says nothing negative about anybody, that quietly goes about his business, that's a fantastic player. And he looks at the official and he says, sir, have you ever called a college basketball game? Now, he didn't use profanity, didn't use bad language, but evidently that was the worst thing you can say to an official. Because the official immediately technical foul and kicked him out of the game for just saying, sir, have you ever called a college basketball game? When I was in the university and studying theology, there were a few times I really wanted to walk up to one of my college professors and say, dude, do you even know Jesus? Just because you teach in a Bible college or a seminary doesn't mean you know Jesus. And sometimes you'd see these guys with a lot of head knowledge, but it never made it to their hearts. And you wonder, dude, you teach everything and you have all this knowledge, but do you even know Jesus? When Jesus looks at Nicodemus, he's looking at someone who's an Ivy League scholar who writes all the Christian or religious magazines and articles and does all the talk shows. And he looks at him and says, dude, <laughs> you need to be born again. What he's saying to Nicodemus is this, everything you've done up to this point counts for nothing. You got to start all over. Now, do you, do you, can you imagine what that means to a guy who spent his entire life the way Nicodemus has lived his life? If you think of being born again as an option or for a certain type of person, that shows me that you don't have a good understanding of the gospel, that you've not yet understood really what biblical faith is. But real truth motivates the heart. And the heart then acts out what the head believes. If you go right to the heart without truth, if you have emotions based on something that is not real, then, well, everything just gets out of whack. Sometimes as I go to Australia or New Zealand or if, as I'm in Africa uh, doing leadership conferences, people, pastors will, they, they'll never do this out loud, but when we get into a private room where we're having like a one-on-one, -on -one, pastors will say things like this. Say, you know, I don't get it. We have people come to our church and they're so on fire for about the first one or two months and then it's like they just disappear. 
It's like suddenly they have buyer's remorse and they're gone. And that does make sense to me because Jesus talks about this in the parable of the seed and the sower. That a lot of times when people first come, it's based totally on experience and emotion. Nothing wrong with emotion. Emotion's good. I wish some of you had it. And, and so emotion's a good thing. Emotion's a good thing. But it's got to be based on truth if it's going to make it over the long haul. And when your experience is based totally on experience and not truth, you might see your friends getting baptized and be emotionally pulled to be baptized. But you see the water is magical. Or you might see your friends and family making a confession of faith and you say, man, I don't want to be left out. I want to jump in. You're having an emotional catharsis, but there's no real truth that's infiltrated your psyche that would start to govern the emotions and how you live everyday life. Being born again, here's the point. This is the truth that the church has not said often enough. Being born again is not a fringe experience. It's right down the middle. It's core and crucial to following Jesus. That's why Jesus said in John 3, 7, you should not be surprised at my saying, Nicodemus, you must be born again. If this is not at the center of your understanding, then you're lost. And you've got to go back and rethink everything. Faith and spirituality. Born again is not for certain types of people. It's the only way into the kingdom. It's for everybody. But what is it really? Since the stereotypical answers are gone... What is it to be born again? Well, first, being born again means you've got to start completely over. Now, think about this for a moment. If I tell you that, who's going to have the most difficult time receiving that message? Religious people. What? Well, Pat, don't you tell me that, Pastor Jeff, because my parents took me to church, and my grandparents took them to church, and I've been in the church forever. You're going to struggle with that. When Jesus says, everything you've done up to now counts for nothing, you've got to start all over. If you think that, man, by going to church every week and by doing this and by doing that, that's, that's gotten you, gained you entrance into heaven. You're religious. You're not Christian. And so when Jesus comes along and says, you've got to start all over. You've got to be born again. You can't even see the kingdom until you're born again. You're going to struggle with that. You're even going to get angry with Jesus. Hey, are you telling me everything I've done means nothing now? Who's going to have the easiest time with that message? People who know they have nothing, absolutely nothing to bring Jesus. People who know that, man, they, they are helpless without Jesus. They got no hope, no future without Jesus. They're going to love that. They're going to receive that message, which is why in the New Testament, Jesus said things like this, the pimps and the prostitutes get into the kingdom before you, speaking to the religious establishment. Why? Because the pimps and prostitutes are better? No, but because they are able to understand the gospel. They're not all, what are you talking about, Jesus? They get it. They're not blinded by their own moral goodness. And I just want to start by saying this. Some of you need to start over. As hard as that is for you to hear, you need to start over. Because there's no joy in your life. There's no passion in your life to serve Jesus. There's no desire. It's strictly a formality. You're here because your parents were here. It's the socially accepted thing to do. You're afraid that if you didn't go to church, that your parents would find out and there'd be fighting in the family. But your heart has never been truly melted by the gospel. You've never been, you've never had your heart melted. You don't get all weepy inside, even if you don't show it outside, because you're just unmoved. For some of you, the best thing you can do, and and let me tell you, your eternity's at stake here, is to just start all over and admit that nothing you could ever do would earn you favor with God. And then you'll begin to see what Jesus actually did for you, and your heart can be melted. Second, here's what born again is. It means it's a new consciousness. You've heard me say this a thousand times. When, When Christ comes into your life, he not only changes what you do, he changes what you want to do. Do you understand what I mean by that? There are new passions that come on the inside. 
It's a new consciousness. Suddenly you find yourself not wanting to do things you used to do. You find yourself wanting to do things you didn't used to do. Not because it's some kind of laboring uh, work to you, but it's a, it's a thrill. They, they become a, a joyful thing. Your priorities change. What defines you changes. You have a real shift in your identity. You pursue different things. You go hard after different things. When you're truly born again, now listen carefully because you'll misunderstand. When you're truly born again, pornography <clears throat> sickens you. Now, I didn't say you weren't tempted by it. I just said down deep in your core, it sickens you. And when you fail, there's an extreme amount of guilt. If that's not there, then can you explain to me how you can say Jesus is living inside you? Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And if Christ is living in you, he's going to be sickened to that. So if pornography doesn't sicken you, if, if money still has power over you, now everybody needs money, nothing wrong with money. In fact, I pray God blesses you with money. But if that's your primary pursuit, Jesus himself said, if that's your primary pursuit, you can't serve both God and stuff. And if Jesus is living inside you, what's going to happen? Your desire, your passion is going to change. Your marriage is going to become sacred to you because you know it's sacred to Jesus. I didn't say that you were perfect. I didn't say that you weren't tempted. I didn't say that sometimes you fail or don't fail. You do. You're not perfect. But there's a passion and pursuit in you, a priority change. You're different. You got new desires. And if you don't have new desires in you, then it probably tells me that you saw baptism as magic water. Let me just get in there and I'll come out all just changed. <laughs> or I'll go up and mouth this secret code that pastor gives me. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that's secret code entrance into the kingdom. It's a new consciousness. It's a psychological change. You are psychologically transformed. No one, has to, no one has to tell you to follow Jesus because you want to already. Remember the circle I drew on the stage? And I said, this represents American Christians. You got a big circle. And if the center of that circle is conformity to Christ, most of us live as far away from the center we can without falling off the edge. But if you got Jesus in you, man, you do a 180. And you're not perfect, but man, you wish you were. And you start marching toward the center of Christ's likeness. That's what it is to be born again, a new consciousness. Look, some of our life coaches tell me that new couples will come and they want to be married by the church. They want to, they want to get married here. And our, we, got, we got, I don't know how many life coaches we have now, probably in the hundreds. And so people come and our life coach will sit them down, young couple, and will say to them, listen, they'll say, hey, great that you want to be married. We want to be part of that. We want God to bless your marriage. We want, the, we want you to be involved in something that's going to sustain you over the trials of, of life and marriage. And like I said, the only, the only people who think that marriage doesn't bring challenge is people who've never been married. Uh, that's why I say marriage is given by God. It's a gift of God to conform you to the image of, of his son. And so we'll have a couple sit down and we'll say to the couple, Hey, we're glad you're here. And we know that, you know, you've said you're Christ followers, you're, you're believers. And so we're going to ask you, then we find out you're living together and you're not married. So what we do is we say, Hey, we understand we can't undo the past, but we're going to encourage you now to not live together until the marriage ceremony. If you honor God now, then God will honor you in your marriage. And you, sometimes people get mad, really mad. And they'll say something like, well, who are you to judge me? Brother, we're not judging you. We're presenting you with a judgment that Jesus has already given in scripture that, that, that the act of marriage is reserved for the act of marriage. Now, for a long time, you struggle. What's going on here? Let me tell you what's going on here. 
They haven't seen the kingdom yet because they haven't been born again. And the reason they get angry is because they're religious, but not Christ followers. Nobody's going to tell them how to live their lives, including Jesus. So they haven't seen the kingdom. In their mind, it's quite okay just to live together and do whatever they want to do before they're married. And the reason they do that, they don't see the kingdom. Do you understand? In John 3, 3, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one, you can't even see the kingdom of God until you're born again. You're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be sinless, but you're going to have a true passion to follow Christ. So when somebody presents you with the truth of Jesus, you're going to have this internal passion to want to pursue it. And if you don't, it's because you don't see the kingdom and you don't see the kingdom yet because you haven't truly been born again. It also involves third, organic transformation. Now stay with me. I love this. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you that you can't see the kingdom until you're born again. Nicodemus says, well, how can I be born again? Do I go into my mother's womb a second time? What are you talking about? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of spirit. So now we're getting a hint on what born again. What are you talking about? Water and spirit. This is a summary by Jesus out of Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37 in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 36... Verse 25, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. You hear what he's saying? Right now you have a heart of stone. So when you hear the truth, it's, you're unmoved. You're just bland. But I'm going to put a heart in you that's alive, that's beating, and it's beating for the purposes of God. And I'm going to move you to the point where you actually want to keep my decrees, not for fear of hellfire and damnation, but because you, you realize your heart's been melted what I've done, and now you're just motivated to go out and live a God, Christ-like life. Amen. He says in verse 23 of 1 Peter 1, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. In other words, folks, this is an organic transformation. Do you understand that? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hammer this until I think you get it. I'm going to keep saying it in every sermon in this series. You don't need reformation. You don't need to just be reshaped. you got to be dug up and replanted. <laughs> think about it. This is what we go back to uh, said before. Uh, if you've got an apple orchard and you look out over the orchard... And you say, man, I, I've loved apples for a long time, but you know what? This year I want peaches. So you say, I'm going to water and fertilize this field and orchard to death. And you're going to water and you're going to fertilize. What are you going to get at the end of the growing season? Bigger apples. Not going to get peaches. You say, well, I'm going to prune them then. I'm going to cut them back. I'm going to get a gardening book and go crazy. I'm going to work harder and harder and longer and longer. Don't go on it. I'm going to get me some peaches. <laughs> no, you're not. You're going to get bigger apples. You can't have new fruit unless you have a new root. You have to be completely replanted, dug up, reorganized. You have to be organically radicalized. That's what the new birth does. Stay with me. And then fourth, it's got to be foundational. Do you know what a, uh, some of you have read theology or you've done your homework. Do you know what a, uh, non sequitur is. A non sequitur is when you're reading a narrative and suddenly as you're reading the narrative, somebody asks Jesus a question and the answer that he gives is like, did he just change the subject? What does that have to do with anything? Now, the first time I saw that happen in my own study was in John 11 after Jesus told the disciples, we're going to go back to Bethany because Lazarus is ill. 
And they said, Jesus, let's don't go back there, man. They tried to, they tried to stone us there. What do you want to do? Why do you want to go back there? And here's Jesus' response. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see the world's, by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. And if I'd have been the disciple, I'd say, huh? You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. This is the problem. In affluent cultures, we like to keep one foot in both worlds. We hope that one day we're going to get our inheritance. But just in case that doesn't happen, I'm going to have my goods and my needs filled while I'm here too. You've not been born again. Because when you're truly born again, you see him not only as savior of your sin, you see him as the ultimate fulfillment of every pursuit of your life. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 